hear that someone wants to kill you, even for a homicide prosecutor who sometimes sends killers to the chair. On the way to the elevator, I ran over some of the possible suspects. I thought of Benny Geritano's mother. I sent him away for ten years. Previously, I had convicted his brother, her younger son. She had the right to hate me. She had stood in the courtroom and cursed me out. I never took it seriously. DAs hear that all the time. But her family had the connections to make that happen. Her late husband was a mafia enforcer who was killed when he went to collect money owed to mob kingpin John Gotti, and the mark got the jump on him. I walked into George's conference room, and sitting in a chair against the wall was an inmate. He was desperate-looking and shifty, with a pale complexion like he never spent a minute in the sun. The guy had put me in jail, written all over him. George started things off. Mike... This guy has to come here from Rikers to talk about a different case. Now he says he knows someone who wants you dead, putting out a contract. He wants to inform in exchange for a get-out-of-jail-free card. George, his ever-present toothpick swirling around his lips, never minced words. George had seen it all. He was an accomplished undercover operative, specializing in posing as a hitman. He looked Brooklyn, spoke Brooklyn, and dressed Brooklyn— His signature look was an untied tie around his neck, knotted only when he appeared in court. If he was taking this guy seriously, then I needed to concentrate. A stranger was about to tell me who was willing to pay to see me dead. "'Tell him what you know,' George said to the man, whose identity he had promised to protect. He would forever be known in all paperwork pertaining to this case as C.I., Confidential Informant. "'Listen,' I'm not bullshitting. I wouldn't fuck with you guys, C.I. began. It's a guy named Amico. He's a wise guy. He's sitting in Rikers waiting for his ride upstate to do a stretch for manslaughter. Killed his sister's scumbag boyfriend seven years ago. He wants Vecchione hit. He thinks I'm getting out soon. Offered me the contract, ten large. I told him I would think about it. So I had my answer. Mike D'Amico. A wise guy. Not someone I would have guessed would pay to have me killed. Wise guys know how the game is played. They do their thing, we do our thing. They have their rules, and we have ours. I was not sure exactly how to deal with this. But George was. George already had a plan. First of all, he would assign detectives to guard me 24 hours a day. Then he would wire up C.I. and send him back to Rikers with the intention of getting D'Amico to incriminate himself. I heard George out, but I was in kind of a fog. I was stunned. I certainly knew D'Amico. He was a Colombo family associate, a tough character, who knew the ropes. We gave him a pretty good plea, six to eighteen years. After a trial, he would have gotten twenty-five to life if convicted. Karen Turner, a rookie assistant DA, and I had a good case against him for killing his sister's boyfriend, whose name was Carlos Beltram. We had strong forensic evidence and a co-defendant who was eager to testify against D'Amico— His story was fitting for an episode of The Sopranos. It began in 1995, about seven years prior to this meeting with C.I. Angelo, a D'Amico henchman, had told us what had happened. D'Amico did not like the boyfriend. The kid was Puerto Rican, which right away was a strike against him with a connected family, and he was rough with his sister, and he was on parole following a drug bust. But as these things go, she would not break up with him. True love, I guess— D'Amico took matters into his own hands. He told Beltram that he could get him a job with a company out in Sheepshead Bay. 
he offered to pick him up and drive him to the interview. Beltram agreed. Angelo stole a Cadillac limo, and they picked up Beltram and Bushwick. Then they drove out along the Belt Parkway toward the supposed interview site. Of course, along the way, Angelo noticed something wrong with the car and pulled off the road and into a wooded area that is now Erskine Street. But back then was a few acres of scraggly woods and empty lots strewn with abandoned cars. Angelo popped the hood and asked Beltram to take a look with him to see what might be the trouble. Beltram said, Thank God, I thought this might be a hit. And that's when D'Amico pulled a gun and ordered the boyfriend to walk into the woods. Angelo said he kept his head under the hood and pretended to be repairing something in case a highway patrol cop decided to check them out. As Angelo told the story, after about two minutes of looking under the hood, he heard two shots. He figured the deed was done, so he put the hood back in place and got behind the wheel. But five...